Welcome to Thriving Within, a bi-weekly podcast loaded with health information and interviews designed to motivate and empower you. My name is Elaine Hedden, and I'm a holistic physical therapist with over 20 years experience empowering patients to reverse diagnoses such as high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, and hypertension with diet, movement, manual therapy, and other natural methods. Before starting any health journey, let your primary healthcare practitioner know of your intentions. Always remember, your doctor works for you, not the other way around. I work for my patients, they are my boss, and I get hired and fired every day. I always encourage my patients to ask questions and be involved with their health care. The more involved you are with your health, the more empowered you will be to make health care decisions that are right for you. When it comes to our health, one size fits one. We are living in a time more than ever that requires precision medicine and quality health care designed for each individual. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thanks for joining me and start thriving within today. Thank you so much for joining me on Thriving Within today. And we have a very special guest. His name is Mir Schneider, and he is just such an inspiration and uh, a very amazing person. He, um, I, I'm going to let him elaborate, but he basically... Um, at one point in his life, when he was born, he was um, legally blind, and now he can see, and he's teaching people uh, how to improve their vision. He's um, an author, a massage therapist. He has his doctorate in healing arts, and he's the author of a plethora of books. Uh, a few titles are Vision for Life, Movement for Self-Healing, Yoga for Your Eyes, and Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing. And his books are translated in 15 different languages, everything from Hungarian, Chinese, Czech, French, Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, Russian, German, Lithuanian, and Hebrew. And I'm sure there's even more uh, information there. So I'm going to just go ahead and open up the floor and introduce Mayor Schneider, thank you so much for your time and coming on Thriving Within. Elaine, it's an honor and pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much. And you are, um, I'm wondering if you can educate uh, the listeners. You, you are originally from the, the Soviet Union? From Ukraine. Oh, really? I was born in... Uh, Kiev and raised in Lvov, that they call these days Lviv. And um, when I was born, uh, I was born to deaf parents. And um, uh, <laughs> I was even told that I was an unwanted child, but I was born. And, uh, and then uh, my grandfather, whom I never met uh, afterwards, uh, looked at me. He was a pharmacist. So he knew a little bit about human health, and he said something is wrong with this baby's eyes. So they went and discovered that I had very dense cataracts. Now, it is so unusual for an infant to be born with cataracts. Um, only till these days, one out of 20,000 infants are ever born with cataracts. Cataracts is very, very familiar 
to adult population. Many people in their 60s and 70s and 80s have it. Um, and to give you a hint uh, of what we're going to discuss further, unfortunately, these days, more and more people in their 40s have it and younger will have it later. But being born with cataracts only happened to one out of um, uh, 20,000 infants. My personal story is that, you know, I was born in the communist Soviet Union. And um, the uh, churches had a basic quota of how many uh, pictures they can have of the Trinity. The funny thing is my father was a deaf Jewish photographer. And he found a way to make money was to sell uh, in the underground, in the black market, uh, pictures of the Trinity to Christians, hmm. uh, those Orthodox Christians. So in order to do that and not to be caught and be sent 20 years to Siberia, uh, what he did is uh, he uh, had a laboratory at home. And all the chemicals of that laboratory came to this young baby who was me, young infant. And I was at the brinks of death several times. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, I think that there was a genetic aberration in my case because my two kids were born with cataracts as well. So uh, I should call them children by now. They're not kids. Mm -hmm. So basically, I was born there. My family left the Soviet Union to Italy. Uh, I'm sorry, to Poland and from Poland to Italy. And then we went to Israel. And um, I had a surgery performed in Italy, four surgeries performed in Israel, all of them were not successful. 99% of my lens ended up being scar tissue. Uh, I even stayed in kindergarten an extra year for the surgeries. And then I very quickly went to Braille books. I was known as of sixth grade to be uh, the quickest Braille reader in the state of Israel. And uh, my fate was to be a successful person who is legally blind was basically 1% vision, where I would see halo and shapes, but couldn't really identify hardly anything. And today, as you mentioned, I'm illegally sighted uh, mm. because uh, I wasn't uh, cured by the medical profession. I was given a blind certificate for good for the rest of my life. Uh, I was a good kid. You know, everybody in the deaf community in Tel Aviv knew that I'm the son of Ida and Abraham. And whenever my mother would go to sew with her girlfriends, I would bring my Braille book. I was considered to be a very good kid. I didn't interrupt anything. I was into my books. And um, uh, that's how my life began. Until I met a high school dropout who read the books of Adolf Huxley, who was a very famous author, uh, and Dr. Pepard. Both of them, the books are out of print. And he started to practice the Bates method. Now, Bates did not die in spite of the fact that the medical profession tried every generation to kill him. I mean, not to kill him mm. physically, but to kill his existence. Didn't work. Uh, in fact, the Bates work is thriving. The last conference that was online, there were 25,000 people. So apparently, wow. apparently there is demand for this kind of work. And at this point, I'm one of the most known people who who do this work mm. uh, worldwide. And people and come to me from all four corners of the world 
to work with me. But basically, he has shown me eye exercises. And the important exercise of the first one he showed me was my eyes used to have a nystagmus. I think most people don't know what nystagmus is. And I'm willing to bet, Elaine, that you know very well what it is. Uh, and it is an involuntary movement of the eyes. And my eyes move involuntarily 300 movements per minute. Can you imagine? That means I could focus on absolutely nothing. And even the light that really came through my lens I did not break well. <laughs> I couldn't get anywhere with mm. the little bit of vision I have. And so the first exercise was an exercise which I know is known to you called palming, where I would rub my hands and put my hands very gently around my eye orbits. And at first, I saw all kinds of lights, like stars. I mean, the same one that you would feel if by any chance your eye have uh, met a sharp object or somebody punched you or something, you'd see stars, you know. That's what I saw when I palmed. Mm -hmm. And it took me about two and a half months until those stars disappeared. And I saw darkness and a few more years until I could see blackness, which is one of our exercises. But when those stars disappear, when I didn't have all those what we can call after images from light, the optic nerve was so irritable. Mm -hmm. And it was because at the age of eight weeks, every one of your audience, including yourself, were looking at details. At the age of eight weeks, my brain was trying to do it, but the cataract stopped it from seeing any details. That's why mm -hmm. when my kids were born, the surgery was done at the age of two weeks, so comes to the age of eight weeks, they already had contact lenses and they started to see the world as is rather than the world through an obstruction in the eye, which is uh, the opacity of cataracts. And in my case, I had this terrible nystagmus and uh, we really slowed it down with palming from 300 movements per minute to 60. And that's when I started to see large objects. Now, I was given very dark glasses because, first of all, nobody wanted to see my running eyes. It was irritating to anyone who looked at it. But the other reason is light bothered me greatly. And what I learned is instead of escaping the sun, to adapt to the sun. So I've done the exercise of closing my eyes and moving my head from side to side not ear to shoulder, but chin to shoulder, all the way from side to side. And slowly but surely, I adapted to the light. And that's when I was able to see things in the sun. Because before that, I wouldn't, wasn't able to see many things. But when I was able to not be irritated by the strong light of the sun, and in Israel, you have very strong sun. It's a southern country, basically. I was able to discern objects and within about three months my vision improved to almost four percent of vision from one percent and it's a huge improvement i could see big billboards big signs and that's where my visual my vision life began 
Now, in your book, uh, Vision for Life, you talked about the very, like, the very first time, I believe, you saw letters uh, that it, it almost made you, I think it made you nauseous, and I think you threw up. It, you're, talking, you're talking already uh, uh, basically a few months later than what I'm describing now. Okay. But yes, when I saw letters, I was surprised to see them because until then I was reading Braille, basically. So um, when I saw the letters, and that was, uh, first I saw them through huge magnifications. And then I saw finally letters with my own eye from an, uh, basically a half or less than half an inch from the eye, very close to my eye. And at that time, I remember it, I threw up, yeah, I threw up as a result of seeing it. But yeah. it was such a discovery that I could see a letter in a book. It was just an amazing thing for me. It was like a huge breakthrough. Wow. And from there, I moved on, basically. And then was that in like um, just the time frame? So when you were 16, was that in the 1950s or 1960s? Uh, it was uh, in the uh, late 1960s. Okay, because from what I understand, the Bates method, I thought was like in, kind of came around like in the 1920s. So it, right. it hadn't been around very long. No, it hasn't been around as long as it is now, but you know that uh, the medical boards were trying to stop the Bates activity. You know, the uh, famous Bates teacher was Margaret Corbett. She's the one who taught Adolf Saxley, and she was taken to a jury trial. And uh, in her case, the state lost, the state of California, and all the juries came her students. But wow. we had we had to use real careful language to not get in trouble with the authorities, uh, uh, and the careful language is that we are teachers rather than um, uh, professional healers. Even people who have licenses, like optometrists or ophthalmologists, uh, basically divide their practice into conventional versus teaching practice, okay. because. The First Amendment allows you to state your viewpoints and to teach. But the medical professions normally were very, very oppressed. But thank God, uh, laws have changed in Alaska, laws have changed in California. And um, we see less the medical board than ever before. And uh, because the social reality is different in that more and more millions of people and throughout the world, hundreds of millions of people are looking for alternative healing. And so even if the law is a little bit against them, um, <laughs> I remember I heard that there was one um, holistic health practitioner in Israel that was taken to court for practicing medicine without a license. And indeed, the judge found him to be guilty for doing it. So he found him one shekel, which is 30 yes. cents. 30 <laughs> Yeah. So basically, he says, "Yes, you broke the law. This is your punishment: thirty cents." Right. So apparently, less and less uh, prosecutors, less and less uh, uh, judges will simply uh, be against you for doing something 
that the medical profession doesn't believe in. But let's take a look at what the medical profession doesn't believe. They don't believe that in any way your eyes can get better. That is absurd. They don't believe in any way your ears can get better if you lost your hearing to mm -hmm. some extent. That is also absurd. All they are is not innovative to find ways to do it because the only thing they're looking for is the right procedure, the right drug, the right medic uh, medication, the right surgery, the right this, the right that. What about the right exercises? I mean, in the last 40 years, there are more and more books on the flexibility of the brain. I'm very proud that Norman Deutsch have uh, wrote about me extensively in one of his books. And, you know, he's very famous about uh, the flexibility of his brain. Right. Uh, and and, um, and what I want to say about this is that the brain can do so much more than one can imagine and is responsible for so much more than we think. Because I think most of your vision is not in your eye, but it's in your brain. And in many ways, you can change the way that your brain functions. You can bring much more stimulation to the brain and your function can greatly improve. So what I wanted to uh, bring up is the fact that uh, vision can improve. More and more people on a regular basis are discovering it. And thank God so many people are looking for ways to get their vision better. And we're not being suppressed anymore by the, by the false idea that vision cannot improve. And uh, in my book, Vision for Life, that you mentioned, I talked about nine principles in the last session that I had that I'm grateful that you participated in. We talked about 10 principles which, uh, with which we can improve our vision. Among them is soft-looking eye, relaxation of the eyes, adaptation to light, to different uh, uh, frequency and amplitude of light, looking at details, looking at a distance, balancing the use of both eyes, bringing more blood flow to the visual system, and several others. So what I want to say is that there's definitely the logic behind the work that we're doing, uh, and people have to kind of open up and see that there are other ways. In my case, I improved my vision from 1% to 70%. I read, I write, and I drive. And, you know, I heard all the jokes about me driving. And I want to tell you, the DMV was hesitant to give me the license mm. because it's not 100% vision. So they tested me in the daytime and at night. And a, a major test, which included the freeway, normally if you go to DMV, it's about 20 minutes test in city streets. I had to do the freeways. It was an hour test. I passed all the tests. Wow. So they had no choice but to give me the license. Wow. And that is just such a testament. You know, I I just find it so, I don't know, bizarre or interesting what to say. But like when I when I go and have my eyes examined um, and I, I ask the optometrist if they've ever heard of the Bates method, they just look at me with a blank like they've never never have heard of this and my you know just briefly you know I discovered um uh, oh about nine years ago my 
my arms were too short. I couldn't see clearly. I had to get my my knitting needle farther and farther away. And everyone said, oh, you need uh, reading glasses. You need those, you know, uh, for the, you know, I just, my arms weren't long enough. So I discovered, or I don't know how I found this, this book. Uh, it's, it's not one of your books. It was a different book. Um, but I started just doing the principles in this book um, because I'm very much a believer in empowering ourselves and not becoming resigned. And within six weeks, I couldn't believe it. You know, I could thread a needle. I, my, I was fine. And that's nine years. So I'm very excited to get into your work and learn even more. So it, I don't know, if, do you encounter any uh, resistance from other people or, or uh, physicians, optometrists? What has been your experience? Elaine, the very fact that you interview me means that you're very courageous because you're bringing a concept that doesn't exist with most most people. And I want to tell you the very fact that you did eye exercises and strengthen your ciliary muscles, which are the muscles of the lens, and were able to return to reading and, uh, and sewing and knitting, that means a lot to your eyes. Because what happens now is that uh, your 40-year-old or 42nd-year-old uh, birthday gift is poor vision from near. Then uh, most people go and get uh, glasses to read with. That does not strengthen the ciliary muscles, does not make the lens less stiff, because it's the stiffness of the lens that causes you not to be able to see from near. And then eventually, you know, uh, comes the cataract. But if your lens becomes stiff, why shouldn't there be cataract? And as a physical therapist, you probably know that if somebody neglects their joints and let their joints be stiff, there is no reason in the world why they shouldn't have arthritis, is there? Right. Uh, it's just a question of time. You start by being stiff. You end up, end up by having basically injury and inflammation. So the most important thing about it is to uh, understand that yeah, I mean, you were you were given good vision. And if we talk about Alaska, let's talk about Alaska. You know, you have a group of people in Alaska that at least in the past used to have amazing vision. Mm. And those are the Inuits or the Eskimos. They had amazing vision. They looked a lot at a distance until they were educated. And there was one school in Canada with uh, uh, 55 kids. 28 of them needed glasses. Five of the parents needed glasses. None of the grandparents who were illiterate needed glasses. Now, I'm not telling you to be illiterate, but you have to understand that when you look a lot from near, and I, I could tell you a place like Alaska is so beautiful. There's so much to see out there. And uh, when people look too much from near, too much at the computer, uh, too much near them, of course, with time, the lens becomes stiff because the muscles of the lens, the ciliary muscles, constrict for you to make the lens like a magnifying lens so you can easily see from near. And they relax when you look at the distance. Hmm. They relax when you look at the distance. So um, 
uh, the lens then becomes flat. So, you know, Bedouins, Eskimos, Bush people in Africa, New Zealanders, you know, the Maoris, they all have amazing vision. But you can compare people in rural Tibet who still are somewhat uh, uh, illiterate. Well, 3% of the population there is nearsighted. And in um, Singapore, 96% of the population is nearsighted. Mm. What's the difference? They didn't learn to read from the age of three or four and play with phones from that age. So there's something about our life that causes problems. We all understand that sedentary life has its problems. And and it took years for people to understand that it, it is a problem. And we all understand that immobility is a problem. But one thing that I can tell you is that we have a sleepy world. We don't really see enough our reality. And this is that lack of movement, emotional tension, uh, and in the case of the eyes, a lack of adaptation to the light. Uh, and on the other end, lack of rest from the light, lack of adaptation into looking at details, not looking enough at a distance, not paying attention to our periphery. All that is a formula for lost vision. And getting the vision back is not complicated, is not hard. You can do it. That's that makes total sense to me. And you know, um, in 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 your book, Vision for Life, in those first chapters, you talk about um, your grandmother, and you know, just listening to uh, interviews with you, and and listening to your classes, reading in your books, you seem to have such a sense of wonder, even to this day, and such a sense of appreciation. And I believe you said it was your grandmother. I'm not sure if it was on your mother's side or father's side. Mother's side. Mother's side. So so maybe because it would be so easy, it would have been so easy for you in your youth to just become resigned and accept, right. accept, okay, this is my life now, this is my reality, but you didn't. And I'm wondering if you can share with the listeners maybe some little nuggets of wisdom that you got from your grandmother. And- you know, I want to tell you a few things. You know, I, as I said, I was born to deaf parents. And um, uh, unfortunately, the parents of um, my father uh, stayed in the Soviet Union. And uh, the parents of my mother came with us to Israel. And my mother, on top of not speaking fluent uh, Hebrew, you know, had to learn Hebrew sign language, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. My grandmother also didn't speak very fluent uh, Hebrew, but she's the one who took me to doctor's appointments. And only that, in the hospital, after I would wake up from surgeries with bandages on my eyes, she would lie down in bed with me and she would massage me and relax me and make me feel good. I also love my mother, by the way. We had a very good relationship. But my grandmother made me feel special. And so when I was given the eye exercises, I kind of felt it's worth my while to help myself. It's like I did not need 
as much uh, propping to go and work on myself because I felt I was worthwhile. Mm. So when parents uh, or siblings uh, or good friends give you a sense that you are valuable, that doing you a service of a lifetime, it's worth more than 10,000 uh, appointment at the psychiatrist couch because what you're getting is will and motivation um, because you feel that you're worth it. And by the way, it's kind of harder to feel that you're worth it once you run a business, uh, once you have many obligations on you and stuff of that nature, but it feels so much easier to feel that you're worth your while if you were given the feeling that uh, you, that you are worth it, that you are important. And I want to tell you something very, very interesting. Uh, my partner is in Canada, in Quebec. And um, I'm talking to you right now from her house. Uh, and uh, when I was tested again a couple of years ago uh, uh, for my driver's license, uh, to go to the DMV, I had to go to an optometrist because my vision is still not perfect. So it's not the test of the DMV itself that I would be able to pass. I had to get special note that saying that uh, my vision is still sufficient, things of that nature. My two kids came with me. I went with my kids to um, all of their appointments and they were so motivated to work on their eyes. I spent mm -hmm. with them hours and hours. And they really liked their medical practitioners, uh, which was nice. Like their original doctor operated them, felt to them like an uncle, basically. But they had a very hard time with total strangers who measured their eyes, which was very interesting. Um, so it felt so good that my kids came with me. My daughter made sure that the form is signed in the right place and filled in the right place. And yeah, I got my driver's license again. That I'm already driving for 40 years. So what I want to say is that whether it is your kids, whether it is your, um, uh, whether it is your parents, whether it is, in my case, your grandmother, who I thought was very special, uh, and gave me almost, I would say, metaphysical love, basically. Complete love. And I, and I had to also help her because she felt sometimes very lonely and not very understood. And I was there with her. Uh, but uh, the main thing is, uh, when I was so so small, she was there with me and for me. And that's why I ended up working on my eyes and don't fall from your seat 13 hours a day, every day, wow. for a year and a half at least, if not more. And uh, the result is here. I'm driving a car. Nobody thought I should cross the street without a seeing eye dog. Uh, uh, or with a cane, no cane, no seeing eye dog. Wow! And you know, in your book, and and you just write so well. I I'm just as I'm reading, I'm like somebody needs to make a movie about your life. It's you're just such an inspiration. Now now you have um, a training course, um, which ju you've just started. Uh, from what I understand, uh, uh, online, and I just took that course, and it was fantastic. So I'm, if you can tell the audience a little bit more about what kind of courses that you offer. 
Now, you took for me a class online, but the training course are hands-on, basically. <laughs> we have a wonderful place. We got, uh, by the way, the whole board of superv supervisors uh, in the city of San Francisco approved it, which is very unusual because we had 59 neighbors who didn't want the school to move to their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We're right by the beach. Uh, but it didn't matter. I mean, we had many more witnesses than they did. Mm -hmm. And people loved us and loved our work. And by the way, one of the supervisors who were very much behind us is now the governor of California. Then they didn't even know he's going to run for mayor. That was many years ago. And so uh, we are by the beach of San Francisco, Ocean Beach. It's a cool beach. It's not a very hot beach in the summer, I must say. Uh, we have wonderful uh, uh, a cork floor where we stretch and exercise. And I just want to tell you is that uh, one of my teachers was uh, in that time I considered to be old, but now I'm older than she was, uh, a librarian. And uh, she loved the world of movement. And she taught me things that nobody teaches anywhere how to work with paralysis, like with polio, how to work with muscular dystrophy. And I've done all that. And uh, by the way, um, if you want, Elaine, I will ask for uh, uh, a person in my office to send you uh, uh, to send you the audible of Movement for Self-Healing. Do you ever listen to, to books? Oh, yes. Thank Yeah, that would be fantastic. So, right. so we'll send you. it. We'll send you the audible. And um, and basically my story is that as I worked on my eyes, already in high school, I started with the guidance of Miriam to work on people as we felt that the medical profession didn't give them what they needed. So I had that nerve from that time. And you would not believe how much resistance I got for that, you know, from parents, from uncles, from name it, name it, I had resistance. But I saved my uh, my grandfather's life. He once almost had a terrible attack. His whole body became green, pale, and with a good massage I gave him in his hand, he, he got better. And he called me a magician. So my grandmother said, just thank him for saving you, you know. So anyway, uh, uh, I, um, I was able to do so many things. You know, I have a Braille sensitive hands because I read Braille many times. Oh. And and I learned to touch muscles of uh, uh, people with muscular dystrophy. And I can teach others to do the same thing in a way that doesn't upset their muscles, so to speak, that is not too much for the muscles and can really help them get more circulation. I've learned uh, the power of movement, the fact that most of our muscles are never being used by us because we don't, we're not even aware of all, most of the movements that we have. And without using most of our muscles, we basically strain very few muscles and the connective tissue hardens around them. So I teach people how to use muscles they never used before to connect between the brain uh, and the uh, muscles, the, the, the brain and the peripheral nervous system. So we have exercises for the brain, for the muscles, for the nervous system, for also for uh, bones. We have specific massage that help rebuild bones and exercises to do that uh, for the digestive system. And of course, 50% of our teaching is on natural 
vision improvement. So I have a course where I have practitioners. Some people come just to learn for themselves. We have two segments. Most people who come to learn for themselves come for the first 80 hours. It's segment A. Uh, and the others come for the other 80 hours. And then they stay with me for a lot of more learning. I have a part two training of um, uh, eleven of uh, 110 hours where we learn to analyze people's posture, people's strain, people's relaxation. And then they work with me on clients. But I can tell you by now, I was helping quite a few people to avoid or postpone the wheelchair or get out of the wheelchair. I've done that when everybody else did not succeed to move them out of there. So my work is not only on the eyes, but with the eyes, I work on many legally blind people. And uh, if you want, I can give you one case, uh, which would be really interesting. Please, please share. Okay, so this lady came from Canada. Uh, I think Alberta, and she belonged to a wonderful um, native tribe. And um, her father came. Her father was more skeptical, but he didn't he didn't uh, bring it up. His her mother was very much more open. So they both came to me uh, from Alberta to San Francisco, and her complaint or her description was that uh, her left eye has 10%, 20% of normal vision, it's 2200, uncorrectable with glasses. Uh, and, you know, one of my assistants understood better her disease. She was lacking iodine, and um, uh, that affected her pituitary gland, and somehow it affected her optic nerve. You probably know more than me what it basically was, but she had a chemical imbalance when she was born which I still need to learn. <laughs> but I did know one thing. She saw 2200 on that chart. We sat down and talked. And, ah, and the complaint was the right eye sees nothing except colors and light. So as I sit down and chat with the mom, and I have my two assistants with me, who actually studied with me. They came all the way from England to learn. I taught them in England, and then they came to apprentice with me in San Francisco. Uh, as as that happened, all of a sudden she reached the 2100 line, which is 40 percent of 2020. So the mother says, "Well, we walked, we we went to all the specialists in Canada, and none of them thought that she can see that well." I said, "Well, she wasn't relaxed with anyone else uh, among them, and so mm -hmm. because we were relaxed, she was able to see better, which shows you that vision is something very changeable. Uh, that when you're stressed, you see worse." And when you relax, you see better. The next thing is I took her to a dark room, very, very pitch dark. And I put two eye patches over her left seeing eye and masking tape around and asked her to put her two hands on top of it. So I didn't tighten anything. I just made sure there will be no light in her left eye. And we did what I normally do in cases like this, had a lamp that blinked in the dark. Because my assumption is, if somebody can see anything, they would see blinking light in the dark. It's the biggest contrast you can have. So I wasn't surprised when she said, I see the light, because she already told me she does. But here was, I was surprised that she could see the lamp, because most legally blind people don't. That was enough of a surprise, but what happened three minutes later 
is that she saw my features. She saw my assistant's features. She saw her mom's feature. And within five or six minutes, she basically had vision all over the room. Wow. In a later date, we called her father and have shown him how she can roll all in the dark and see it. And he was really surprised. And from there on, he really was supportive of the work she was doing with me. So then I said, I'm not going to lose this minute. And we walked to the trampoline, which is in our backyard, and got her to bounce on the trampoline. She was very athletic, but she felt so uncomfortable bouncing, touching the eye with which she saw and looking with the eye that falsely she, her parents, her doctors, for 18 years thought was blind. Hmm. And so then after that, we walked in the streets around my office, and she was able to read big signs. And we discovered that in a way, it was actually not a blind eye. It was a very lazy eye. Weak, all right, but not blind. And uh, when she looked with both eyes, her vision improved to 2060. So the very fact that she relieved the hardship on the one looking eye, one looking eye, and was able to work with, uh, with both, made it possible for her to actually uh, see with both. And so all of us have to understand that there's a latent potential that we all have. There is something we can always do. It's just finding the method to increase our capacity with uh, to achieve more movement in our body. In her case, is opening a whole pathways of nerves and all synapses to die. You know, I'm sure that in your generation as well, but I know that in my generation, if you wanted to pass any test on the brain, you had to say how many cells of the brain die every year, basically. These days, they say, no, no, no. The cells don't die. The synapses disappear. means the connections disappear. And the flexibility of the brain is a very known thing, except it's not being practiced enough. And in my work, I practice it muscularly. You learn to use toe muscles that most people never try to use. But some people uh, can pick pedal uh, pebbles with them. Some people can play guitar. Some people feed themselves with the feet if they're armless or were born with short arms. But we, most people, don't even know that those toes can move independently. And they can. I'm showing it in my classes. And that, by the way, loosens up the rest of the body because if you don't mobilize your toes, your ankles become stiff. So do the knees and the hips and the back and eventually the neck. So if somebody comes to me with neck tension, I may work on the neck for a little bit, but I will start with the toes and the fingers. So basically the connection of places in the body is just incredible. That is, that's so wonderful. And it sounds like not only physical, but you also work with maybe people's mental and emotional, because that's just such a beautiful story of the power of the mind and how so often we're, we're, we're disempowered. We feel like 
we have to be medicalized and I'm, and I'm not saying don't go to your doctor, but so often I'll run in with patients that, you know, I, I'm always assessing, do they want to get well? And they have to have that desire um, to get absolutely. absolutely. You and I are reaching to the 10% who do. Let's put it this way. I mean, even in the case of uh, this particular wonderful woman, it takes a lot to get used to the fact that you see from an eye you did not know you can see from. Hmm. It's not an easy psychological transition, but she did it. And next year, she and her mother and her father came, and we work on fusion of the two eyes, getting them to work together. And uh, the mother, all of a sudden, uh, decided that she's too um, she's too much of a guardian for her daughter. That actually, her daughter has enough vision to walk around, which was a big relief for the daughter and for the mother. You know, wow. so. Wow. To, to accept psychological changes, to accept a change to the better is no less difficult than to change, accept a change to the worse. It's easier for people to think they're doing badly than to say, I have a potential to do well. Right, right. That is just, just so powerful. And I just wanted to share with the audience um, that your website uh, is self healing.org and between self and healing it's it's a dash is that correct yes self hyphen healing.org okay that is and that's a good place for people to start if they want to learn more about your classes or actually right. coming to your school also call us call to 415-665-9574 and i'll be glad to chat with you Okay. And do you do any, um, let's say if people can't travel, do you work with clients? Uh, on Zoom, yeah. On, on Zoom? online, definitely. Okay. The, in the past, it was the phone, but now it's becoming more and more Zoom sessions that we record and send the recording to the clients. Okay. That's great to know. So people have an option um, for improving their vision. Um, it just takes time and it takes dedication. It's it's not a quick fix, um, you know. And number one is always safety. You you don't want to go like without your glasses if it's an unsafe situation. So I definitely want to emphasize that. But I believe we can learn so much from you and what you have to offer in your books. They're just filled with information and actual charts. Um, and you know, you, we just don't have to be resigned to, well, this is as good as it's going to get. It's just going to get worse. Absolutely not. And you are living proof. And I hope somebody makes a movie about your life and just any, any last words um, of wisdom for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important for people to know the power of breathing, the power of relaxation, the power of the brain. And to believe in themselves. And if you study with me to help others, you study with me to help them develop intuition with which they can feel what they need to do for themselves. There's no reason for you to believe that your back ache is there for life. There's no reason for you to believe that your readers are there always on your nose. There's no reason for you to believe 
that uh, your breathing cannot improve, it's time for you to start and believe in yourself. And don't allow anyone to discourage you. I don't say don't be realistic. But sometimes all I can do is help somebody feel more comfortable in the wheelchair if I cannot get them out of the wheelchair. But many times when I can, and uh, uh, the, there is times uh, when we have to adjust to the fact that somebody is legally blind. But then they could either see two and a half percent vision, or they can see ten or fifteen percent vision with a very serious condition. And we can definitely work on getting them to see better, adapting to to the fact that they see better. And, and function better. So uh, I really believe that the biggest thing of everyone is to believe in themselves. And that's what I teach people to do in many situations. Well, I love that. And I teach that as well. So in the show notes, I'm going to put um, your website and phone number where people can reach you. And Mary, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time and uh, joining me today on Thriving Within, and feel free to reach out to Mayor Schneider, um, his books. You can find him online, again, at self-healing.org. He can be reached at 415-665-9574. And thank you again so much, Mayor. You take care. Helen Hayden, as I said in the beginning, it's an honor to speak with you, and I'm so happy to be in your podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us on Thriving Within.